Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Bus. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows to you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. This is a pod that I've wanted to do for quite some time. As we always say on this show, we like to talk to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. We've got someone very powerful joining us today, F. King Alexander. He is the president of Oregon State University. He's also the former president at Louisiana State University. So we're going to get a great look at budgets from the SEC from the Pac-12, is there going to be college football this fall? Will there be fall sports? What's the economic breakdown of a typical athletic department? What's the relationship between the NCAA and its member universities? Will the role of the NCAA change going forward? And if there aren't fall sports, will some of these universities need to go take out loans in order to stay afloat? Lots of answers from a unique perspective. F. King Alexander is going to join us today on Sports Business Radio. This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by Mizzen in Maine. Mizzen in Maine makes wrinkle-free dress shirts, dress pants, and shorts that are comfortable and breathable. It's like clothing disguised as athletic apparel. No dry cleaning needed. It's the most comfortable dress shirt I've ever worn. Go to MizzenInMaine.com, use promo code SBR, get $10 off your next purchase. And a quick reminder, Sports Business Radio is teaming with Malka Sports on the Sports Business Academy, which takes place virtually this Thursday and Friday, August 13 and 14. The event is for high school and college students who want to hear from top minds working in the sports industry. I'll be moderating several of the conversations, including with three-time Olympian Carolyn Joyce, Cronky Sports CMO Declan Bolger, NCAA Executive Joanne Scott, who produces March Madness, and PR strategist Veda Manager, who worked for Nike for many years and continues to advise top corporations and high-profile individuals. If you want to register to join us, sba.malkasports.com, and that's M-A-L-K-A sports.com, sba.malkasports.com. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good. And uh, I was just thinking about your interview with uh, Mr. Alexander. And it's just, it's one of those, it's so timely because end of last week and especially yesterday, we've really started hearing more about college football being uh, canceled in some conferences and more meetings today about that. So, you know, just a timely interview. He has great stats. He has great information. Very smart guy. So uh, really, really good interview. Well, no matter what anyone tells you, whether they tell you, oh, it's the coaches like Jim Harbaugh or it's the athletic directors. No. It is the university presidents who will make the decision collectively about whether or not to play fall sports, what the rules look like in the future. Will they have to take out loans in order to stay afloat? Um, One of the things that's interesting, too, I don't want to ruin the interview, but is there a reset needed in college sports? For instance, you know, when President Alexander was at Louisiana State, 
You've got Ed Orgeron, who's a great coach, but he's making $8.7 million a year. Meanwhile, the athletes aren't making anything. And you've got these athletic departments that are going to have shortfalls for this year and potentially next year. Is the bubble going to burst with what you pay some of these coaches, Coach K and the upper echelon coaches in college football? I think there's a reset coming, and and you can hear his thoughts on that as well. So interesting conversation, Griggs. Yeah, I think uh, the reset brings up a good point because, like you say, when you have a football that doesn't bring 75% of the school's revenue in, how are you going to pay these coaches $9, $10 million? So, yeah, good points he brings up and uh, exciting interview. All right, so some other headlines before we get to the interview. The bubble continues to work. And, you know, as I've said a few times, if you listen to our show from March, I was skeptical about the bubble working. It has worked. So it's working for the NBA. They continue to have zero positive tests. MLS is back. They wrap up their tournament tonight uh, with Portland and Orlando. Go Timbers. And, uh, you know, that has gone through to completion. Um, NWSL, they played in the bubble. That's working. WNBA is working. Zero positive tests for the NHL. Meanwhile, anything played outside the bubble, Major League Baseball continues to struggle. You look at a team like the St. Louis Cardinals. Here we are on August 11th as we record this, Griggs. The St. Louis Cardinals haven't played a game this month because COVID has gone through their roster. You've got the Marlins who are already... You know, they've missed a a number of games due to COVID going through their roster. You had a pitcher from the Cleveland Indians and the pitching coach in Chicago go have dinner with friends and break protocol. So they got sent home and, and away from the team and have to quarantine. We're seeing the rules become more strict. But one of the things Major League Baseball is talking about, Griggs, is if they do make it to a postseason, if they don't have to cancel the season before the postseason, might they play Major League Baseball's postseason in a bubble? I think if they get to that point, and that's a big if, the only way they get through the postseason is by playing it in a bubble. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great move. And obviously, like you mentioned, all the the leagues that have bubble has worked really good. So it's proof in the pudding. I mean, we know this works. So yeah, if you, if you want to get to the World Series and actually play all the way through, I think that's a great idea. And like you said, the big if is can they still complete their you know, 40 games left or whatever they have left. So that's the big question mark. Uh, NBA, I continue to watch that. And it seems like they're getting more and more innovative. So it started and we saw, you know, the virtual fans on the sides. Now they've got virtual fans in the end zones. Uh, Just, I'm so impressed by everything they're doing. WNBA and NHL are doing a great job too. It's interesting in the NHL, the two host teams, Edmonton and Toronto, have already been eliminated. So... Uh, that's been interesting to watch. But it's interesting to see these innovations and, and what might stick around when we return to sports as quote-unquote normal one day when fans are back in attendance. Yeah, it's really fascinating to see how humanity's adapted to this, through this crisis. And I mean, every time I watch a WNBA game or an NBA game, I'm just like, this is really cool. I mean, the stuff they've done, how it looks on TV with the announcers and the fans and the virtual stuff is really well done. And it's it's fun to watch. I mean, I, at, in the beginning, I'm like, OK, is this going to be engaging enough for me to stay tuned in? And it has been. So uh, congrats to everybody that's put these leagues together on the bubble. Zion Williamson's season is done. The Pelicans were eliminated, so they pulled Zion from uh, the last game or two. His rookie season is done. Uh, you know, 
the teams in the NBA bubble, it's interesting. As soon as you play your last game, they have like a hotel set up where you can go shower and then they immediately bus you to the airport. So like as soon as your game is done, you're out of there. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, move on to the next one. I was kind of, I mean, I wish we could have seen Zion more. I'm kind of frustrated that they didn't play him much, but, uh, you know, I get it. I get it. He's a, he's a big entity and the, the team obviously didn't get all the way through, didn't make it to the playoffs. So I get it, but frustrating for probably for him too. What a weird rookie season, especially coming out of such a high, high draft. All right. Coming up next, my conversation with F. King Alexander, president at Oregon State University, former president at Louisiana State University, a must listen for anyone interested in the future of college athletics. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. My guest is F. King Alexander. He is the president of Oregon State University. He's the former president at Louisiana State University, the reigning college football national champions. He was the president at LSU from 2013 to 2019. The crown jewel of college sports is college football, which is worth an estimated $7 billion, according to NBC's Today Show. LSU netted $56 million in 2019 just from football, Oregon State, on the other hand, is towards the bottom of the Pac-12 in donations and football ticket sales. So I thought F. King Alexander would be a great person to bring on to really give us a great look at athletic departments at universities. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Oh, fine, Brian. Thank you for having me. You come highly recommended for this conversation. I've been trying to find just the right person to try and explain to our audience kind of where we are right now with college athletics. Obviously, we're in unprecedented times, but pretend we're not for a moment. And let's just talk about the economics of an athletic department. And I know it's not one size fits all. And like I just said, you've been at LSU where there's lots of funding and Oregon State, not as much funding as Louisiana State. But let's start with how are athletic departments funded typically? So it's, it's kind of interesting because I, I started my career as president of a basketball school at Murray State, and then went to a baseball school, which was Long Beach State, and then <laughs> just came from a football school. Um, but I did grow up in Gainesville, Florida, so I knew the, the dynamics of how important Southeastern Conference football, what it means to not the community, but the entire state. Um, the economics are, are quite significant, and when you think about seven Saturdays, seven Saturdays and about 13 to 14 minutes of actual action on a football field. That's the time from the play, the, the time from the play, the time the play begins to the time the play ends. 
for about 80 minutes a year. Uh, it, it, for LSU, it's about an $80 million uh, revenue generator. And uh, for 80 minutes a year, and those are seven Saturdays, um, you'll have 200,000 tailgaters and only 102,000 tickets. Uh, so people, they, these are these are big, big family intergenerational uh, events, and uh, football is the driver. Uh, there are only about a dozen to 16 schools that make more money on athletics than they actually spend, and LSU is one of them. Uh, the football generates over football generates about 75% of the entire athletic budget. And it, and Oregon state is more, more common. The, the funding structure is more common than say in LSU, but it still is football is about 75% of the Oregon state university budget, which means football generates the revenues that the rest of the, the rest of the sports use throughout the year. And probably I'd say women's basketball and baseball are break-even ventures for for our for Oregon State. Uh, baseball made a little money at LSU and women's gymnastics, but football was the primary source, the economic source for the inter, for all intercollegiate athletics. So if football doesn't happen in the fall, then it has a indirect effect on all the other sports that then will come in the winter and the spring. So these are truly, as you mentioned, unprecedented times. But um, what happens in the fall generally has lasting effect on the rest of the academic year for for student athletes. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. We already know that March Madness earlier in the year, the NCAA men's basketball tournament was canceled. According to various reports, that means NCAA payouts from that tournament will drop by 63%. So again, President Alexander the way we've always operated on this show is the two biggest revenue drivers for all the other sports that you just mentioned, basketball and football. And you just said football accounts for typically 75% of an athletic department's budget. So if you get rid of college football and you see that basketball payments are decreasing by 63%, how do you fund the other sports? That's a that's that's a very good question, and I know the Pac-12 is looking into some long-term bonding and loans that the Pac-12 schools. I know that three-fourths of them may look into to fund the rest of the sports if indeed we're we are playing, and the pandemic is declining. Um, the basketball in some places does does better than football. Kentucky and a few other places, Kansas and Syracuse, but. Uh, basketball generally is a pretty good, if you have a good team, it can be a revenue generator, but if, if football isn't supplying the athletic budget, which it does here, it does at LSU, um, there's going to be some, some innovative ways to fund the rest of the programs that may involve some bonding that may involve some, uh, 30 year loans, um, that can be paid back over a 30 year period. Uh, if indeed we are playing in, say, the winter or the spring in other sports, um, there there might there's also the discussion of moving football to the spring, which has its own logistical challenges as they do that. The, the NCAA basketball tournament, people need to realize, is is how the NCAA funds itself. The NCAA makes has a contract with CBS Sports for about sixteen billion dollars. That's what that's what the entire NCAA operates on. So when that March when March Madness doesn't occur, 
and that the CBS contract is negated, the NCA doesn't have a source of revenues. So I, it doesn't surprise me, having canceled March Madness, that they have cut back significantly on payouts to universities and schools because it is the major funding source, the primary funding source of the NCAA. Okay, so with that being said, and the other main role of the NCAA is enforcement. If the payouts have decreased drastically and conferences can probably do their own enforcement, what do you think the relationship between the NCAA and the Power Five conferences is going to be like going forward? Because from where I sit, and I have friends at the NCAA, so I don't want to offend anyone, but it doesn't seem like the NCAA has as big of a role as maybe it's had in the past, especially with those Power Five conferences. I'd say you're you're right, and that's how the FBS really started with the football bowl championship series. Um, the NCAA doesn't generate anything from the from the playoff series uh, for college football. Uh, they would love love to have that contract, but they don't. So you could conceivably, just looking at it from a macro perspective, that the NCAA doesn't carry the weight that it used to carry. And I, you know, some might question the fact that what's going to happen to the NCAA if March Madness doesn't doesn't occur this spring. That's two that's two years in a row of the the major primary funding source has been eliminated. Um, that I would question, you know, I know Mark Emmert very well. He had been former uh, chancellor at LSU. So I have a very good relationship with the president of the NCAA. And I talk to him about every three weeks. Um, the Power Five conferences are making the decision about whether to play fall sports, not the NCAA. Enforcement is truly a big part of what the NCAA does. But when the NCAA is playing defense or they're back on their heels, uh, the enforcement arm of the NCAA takes a back seat and not and just watching how some of the basketball issues are have have emerged out of the wiretapping and the wire probe in, in, in New York. Um, I, I, I would question the the ability of the NCAA to be on on offense when they're playing complete defense without March Madness. So you could see the NCAA potentially going away or maybe not existing in the same form that it does now in the future? I, I would say the latter probably. Um, it, it still has the enforcement and we still are, we still abide by the policy manuals and the, and, and the guidelines and, and, and the bylaws. And, but I would say that financially it, this this could really throw the NCA on in, in a back seat if if March Madness doesn't occur again this this coming spring, and so, I don't know what the NCA is going to do to adjust to that. Yeah, I mean the other thing is so President Emmert's been on this show as well, and you know one of the things he said that really stuck with me is he said, "Hey, it's not easy getting eleven hundred plus university presidents on the same page, right? The the member institutions on the same page. I would think it's a lot easier to get a conference on the same page than it would be all of those presidents across the NCAA membership. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And the Big Five does carry a much bigger stick, uh, and that's we're we're watching sort of the Big Ten right now to see what 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 they're going to do with fall sports. We're also watching the pandemic outbreaks and who's in hot spots, which schools are in the hot spots. And we're, we, we're talking about this weekly. Um, 
Southeastern Conference is is a little bit different. It's not really one that's going to lead. It's one that's going to follow just because of the political dynamics of those states and the gubernatorial dynamics of those states. So it, it all plays into these considerations. But but first and foremost, there are those that think that we're making these decisions based on revenues. Revenues, we know we're going to lose on the revenue side. That's not that is not even a part of the perspective that we're talking about. We're talking about the health the health and safety and wellness of our student athletes and whether our student athletes, fans, coaches, um, whether they can participate in a healthy environment that's safe. And I, right now I, we're watching, watching major league baseball that, that would normally be the safest of all sports. And it's got more problems in the NBA, which was, which is what's been perceived as, the most challenging of all sports just because of the pandemic and the nature of the pandemic and social distancing. Um, so we're watching all this carefully and, but we will be making a decision in the PAC 12 that, that will be based on the health, safety, health and safety of our student athletes and our coaches and our, our fans and, and, and students. Yeah. When you see the mid American conference come out and vote to postpone fall sports into the spring, it seems like, it's kind of this game of who will blink first with the the power five conferences. And if one of the conferences says we're postponing, I would think it would be really difficult for the other conferences to justify playing at that point. Would you agree with that? I, I completely agree with that. And I'd say the Mac the mid America conference has a different dynamic, financial dynamic. They make all their money in the beginning of the year by playing the many of the big five conferences. And so they'll play two or three games against Wisconsin or Ohio State. That gives them a three, four million dollar payout. And their biggest revenue generator are those first two or three games. And the conferences have said they're not going to play those games anymore. So the MAC has pretty much thrown up their hands, saying we we don't have a reason to play. Um, You know, ball states and of the world and Northern Illinois they don't make a lot. They don't make a lot of money in in Northern Illinois or in, in in Muncie, Indiana, they, they make their money by going to Michigan and opening up the home opener and getting a $2 million payout. And then another one the next week. So the Mac, it makes perfect sense why the Mac would say moving everything to the spring. I I think the dominoes are falling and I think you're going to see that that's generally where I think most, most will end up. Um, We still have conversations going about how long can we wait and how long can we, continue to do be hopeful and optimistic and i think i know personally i'm losing i'm losing some of that optimism yeah um stanford announced that it was cutting 11 varsity sports last month stanford has a big endowment i think some people are wondering as a solution you mentioned loans earlier in the conversation what are the general rules when it comes to tapping into an endowment? And again, I know that it's not one size fits all. Some universities have bigger endowments than others. Yeah, the the endowment issue is that's more of a Stanford, Harvard, Yale issue. Um, most of us don't have endowments that a you can tap into. And what most people don't realize is nine, about ninety nine percent of those endowments are restricted funds, restricted for scholarships, departments, chairs, faculty. They're restricted for specific purposes. And I, I just don't think many schools have the ability to tap into an unrestricted endowment because those those money, 
those resources are are restricted for facilities. They're restricted for scholarships. And you'd set a, a, a pretty dangerous precedent that my donors in the future, if you start using endowment funds for purposes other than the ones that they wanted those funds to be used for. Stanford dropped 11 sports, but Stanford also had 34 sports. Oregon State has 17. So they, Stanford, I believe, is in the process of right-sizing uh, their athletic depart, their department with a lot of non-revenue generating sports like sailing. And um, <laughs> they have a men's and women's sailing program and other, other sports like that. So it doesn't surprise me that they're, going, they're, they're downsizing. And their athletic director, Bernard Muir, knows, knows what he's doing. He's, he's, an, he's an old high school basketball teammate of mine from Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> so I'm particularly interested in in women's sports. You've got Title IX, um, and the women's sports need to be funded at a certain level. There needs to be some level of equality because of Title IX. But could you see if there's less funding because of that loss of revenue from football and basketball, could you see that some of the sports within an athletic department turn into club sports and not uh, intercollegiate sports? It, it certainly is possible that you'll see some of that around the country. Um, certainly crew and rowing has gone back and forth on many campuses. Um, wrestling has been uh, probably decimated throughout the country and in, in to, to right sides the, the Title IX uh, scholarship ratios. Uh, I would see it, it is conceivable that you would see a number of schools, some, some have NCAA rugby instead of club, club rugby. Uh, others have NCAA rowing rather than club rowing, uh, and I, I could I could see this. I could see that many 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 athletic programs, NCAA athletic programs, could become club equestrian. Uh, a number of sports. Most people don't realize the NCAA has any authority. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAS and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. So as you've been saying, and as we've been reading, like we said, it's not looking great for fall sports to happen in this country. And that leads to my next question. And and I know you're probably meeting with people both in the conference and on your campus regularly to talk about this, but student athletes with eligibility, and then, you know, you've got media rights deals, you've got season ticket holders. There's the whole domino of, of, kind of clusters that will be impacted by this. Do you just have to deal with that or do you find a way to push it forward a year? How do you handle that? 
Well, we're just going to have to find options. I mean, these <laughs> we've been through a lot in, in my previous positions from hurricanes. We've moved football games. We've moved them back. We've canceled due to floods. Um, nothing like this, though, because it impacts the it, this is this has global impact, let alone in the southern part of our our conference uh, is struggling with with the the. COVID cases are just just shooting through the roof in Los Angeles and Phoenix and a lot of our Southern partners and, and colleagues down there. Um, I, I think all options are sort of are really on the table under these circumstances. Uh, we have about an $80 million athletic program. 58 million of that is generated by football. Um, we're going to have to figure a way to finance, finance our athletic program. Um, and do it in, in innovative ways. And, and that may be for this year. It could be for this year and next year. Uh, but certainly this year, is it, we're going to see. I would be surprised if there were any fans in the stands if we played. Hmm. One of the biggest costs for an athletic department, especially the, the revenue-generating ones, the ones that make money, sometimes the coaches. You've got Coach K in basketball, You've got you know Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and your guy Ed Orgeron at LSU. Ed is due to make $8.7 million for the upcoming football season. Some people say, hey, is there anything that can be done to adjust their salaries or defer it in order to maybe use some of that money to get the athletic department by for this year and maybe next year? What do you say to that? Well, that, that, I think a lot of the, the issues, the legal issues that you see that are being uh, discussed in, on, on image and likeness in Washington for the players, the student athletes, um, a lot of it's been caused by this Cold War of spending that's been going on. And I've, I've been a critic of the, the spending habits and, and I'm guilty of, of having to play in the, in the arena of the spending Cold War. Um, something has to be done to curtail the spending. Uh, you've got assistant coaches making two, 2.5 million at some schools. The head coach is making 7.5 at Texas A&M and for a 10, $75 million contract for 10 years. Um, the spending is, is gotten so out of control and it, that we're, I do believe we need some sort of federal congressional oversight that he, that, that gives college athletics and university athletics, the same exemption, antitrust exemption that the pros have. So that you can, everybody spends about the same and, but they, they, they can prioritize where they spend it. Either on a head coach or 10 coaches. Uh, but something has to be done because the spending, the, just in LSU's case, LSU generated $132 million last year in revenues, uh, for athletics. The entire, the state legislature, gives Louisiana State University $115 million just to run the academic side of campus. Wow. So it's even swamping the academic side in, in, in spending. So I think something is going to have to be done, and it's going to take some sort of oversight from – not everybody will agree with me, but it, something has to be done or these spending patterns will just keep going up and up and up. Uh, currently, uh, they won't go up this year in most cases, but uh, – the, if we get back on track to where we were, the you're going to have the haves and the have-nots in every conference. I think LSU spends twice as much as Mississippi State does now, and if that if that if if that bifurcated arena continues to get more dramatic, which I only see it getting 
you really end up with about 12 schools, 15 schools that have two to three times the resources that the rest. I don't know how the Washington states or the South Carolinas, the Mississippi states and Arkansas can even keep up with the Alabama, LSU and Florida or Ohio State and Michigan. You mentioned player safety earlier in our conversation, and that will be a driving factor on whether or not fall sports are are postponed or canceled. The voice of the college athlete is really changing on player safety, social justice issues. Pac-12 players have formed a union. Um, A lot of the Power Five conferences have also joined that. What do you see in the future for the college athlete? Because you know, they've tried to unionize before for a number of different reasons. It hasn't worked out. But, you know, if you're dealing with a $7 billion industry and the athletes are saying they want more than just a scholarship, where do you think this winds up? That's that's a very good question. I don't, I don't know at the end of the day where it, where it might wind up. Um, uh, and, and I applaud the, the, the student athletes that, that are, that have stepped out and, and, uh, have, have raise the awareness of, of these issues. Uh, a couple things that, that I think are more problematic, uh, in the California law that, that was unanimously approved. It, it, the one part that most people don't realize is that it allows student athletes to have an agent as early as high school. And I, when you start involving middle people like these AAU coaches in basketball or agents in high school, and coaches end up recruiting the agent, not the student athlete or the family, it could open a Pandora's box of problems that have already occurred in college basketball. And having had one of those problems at LSU, I know Kansas has had it, um, involving a middle person, an AAU coach in basketball, who generally wants to, to make as much money as possible for themselves, uh, and, and they act as a surrogate parent to the student athlete, uh, you, you open up a door that is very, very difficult to close. And so I think some that like an image, there are ways that students could have trust funds at the end of their career in college where they could take advantage of people are wearing their jerseys or their names. Uh, but I think when you get into the agency issue, uh, that opens up a huge, huge Pandora's box on problems that would occur. And, and you would ultimately take, take the, I'd, the amateur uh, aspect of college sports, it would take it and throw it out the window. So I agree with what you just said. And, and I've actually, I've done consulting for Nike and I've seen the AAU circuit up close and I've seen frankly how filthy it is. So uh, I completely agree with what you say, but I also think, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar industry now and the players are saying, you know what, the rules were different when they were written before. It was a much different landscape than it is now. We're seeing these huge media rights. We're seeing our coaches get paid a lot of money. Some coaches are given incentives. If a player gets a certain GPA, then the coach gets a bonus on it, not the tutors or not the players for getting the good grades. It just seems like uh, an interesting system that – isn't really amateurish. So I've said the same thing to President Emmert when he's been on this show. It, it just doesn't – we just talked about what the coaches make, what the facilities cost, all the money that's associated with college athletics. It doesn't seem amateur anymore. Well, you, you know, it is sliding in that direction. And um, it, the, what, what our student-athletes, we have to make sure 
in fact, it's our female student athletes that understand the reality of, of why the why their college education is so important because many of our male student athletes, especially in high profile sports, make assumptions that they're all going pro. And even if they do go pro, the the longevity or the tenure of a pro athlete is about two and a half years. So they're 23 and a half years old when their pro career ends, if they even get a shot. Uh, I think we our focus has to be on the education of the the entire student athlete and the careers that those student athletes are going to need and have to have. Um, the money that a university makes is 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 unfortunately well beyond the control of a single institution and a single institution can unilaterally opt out by just saying, we're not going to pay those types of salaries or we're not going to pay any more for it. Well, then you fall to the bottom of your conference and then you, then most likely the president doesn't or chancellor doesn't end up staying there at LSU. You wouldn't stay there very long. Yeah. (laughs) well, like you said earlier, it's an arms race. I mean, it really is. It's you have to do it in order to compete. And if you don't, then like you said, you're not staying there very long and the football coach isn't staying there very long. That's got to be a lot of pressure that, that you know, if, if and that's that's why something needs to be done externally so that uh, I remember in the late 90s, I was at a meeting with the Big Ten University professors when I was or presidents when I was at University of Wisconsin. And I remember the Big Ten and James Duderstadt was president of Michigan. And he said in 1998 that the Big Ten is a driving force in in intercollegiate athletics. Why don't all the Big Ten institutions agree to put a stop to this and do it now? And that was in 1998. Hmm. And so the the discussion's been going on for 25 years with little resolve. And the Big Ten tried to do it for six months and then somebody hired somebody at an exorbitant rate. And then it just broke it. That, that 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 consolidated effort sort of broke apart. And but I, that discussion has been going on since 1998. And something has to give and something has to. Otherwise, we're going to have 12 schools that are the big money, almost pro operations. And the rest of them are going to form another conference and be sort of the low, lower spending conference. Right. And, and frankly, never have a chance to compete for a national championship or anything like that. They may make money or they may have success in bowl games, but you're never going to be one of those schools that can compete for a national championship because, like you said, it, it's kind of the, the haves and the have nots. And that's that's what's being created right now is uh, I can just tell you there's an uh, almost an upper division in spending in the SEC and a lower division in spending. And I'm sure it's the same way in the Pac-12 with UCLA and USC. And um, there's they're the big spenders, and then there are the ones doing everything they can to 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 compete on the on the field and on the court and on the track, um, and doing everything they can to hold down costs while they've got competitors that are doing everything they can to to keep up with the Joneses. All right, before I let you go, I'm going to give you the magic wand, and you get to wave <laughs> it over. All of college athletics, and then you get to wave it over just the Pac-12. What are some of the things that you would change? I know we've discussed some of them already in this conversation, but just some fundamental things that you would change both in all of college athletics but also in the Pac-12, if you could, if you were in charge of everything. Well, I'm kind of an old-school guy on this, at least in – I wasn't a big uh, winner-take-all even though LSU did 
and we won the national championship. But I was never one to, to vote down the bowl series. Um, I think you get it. The season ends with a lot of winners and the the winner take all mentality of, of especially football and even basketball has gotten that way um, is that you could be undefeated your whole year and then you lose the last game and then you feel like your season was a failure. Um, I, I just don't I, I don't believe that that's the best way to, to celebrate our student athletes. And so I, I would I would go back to to conference championships, the bowl series. Uh, no, not every <laughs> a lot of people aren't going to agree with me because um, but I, I just believe there's a lot more value in that in that situation. And 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 I put a stop. I, I put caps. I put spending caps on the athletic programs um, and, the, and the conferences. Um, everybody can spend up to this point. They can spend it on one person or you can spend it on 15 people, uh, much like the pros have it. Otherwise, there is no end in sight of the Cold War of spending that's going on. And it, it, it and, and with all the big dollar numbers that are being thrown around, we we lose the amateur discussion because the money is so significant now. We've created our own problem here. And now we, now we've got to solve it uh, to protect intercollegiate sports. And otherwise, otherwise we're going to be sliding to watch. We're going to be in this semi-pro arena at some point. Yeah, this really feels like a tipping point, doesn't it? Like so many businesses, whether you're a restaurant or a movie theater or you know a tech company, people have had to adjust in the last five months. And and I feel like this feels like a tipping point right now for college sports. It, it, well, it could be. Uh, it, it could be a. It could also be a reset. Um, it kind of hit a reset button so we don't get caught up in the direction we were all going. Um, because I just, there are only going to be a couple winners at the end of the road, at the end of the marathon that we're on. And the rest of the rest are going to be well, well, way in the back. And it could be, could lead to conference realignment, reconference creation, the big schools versus the smaller schools or the rich schools versus the, the have nots. And we just can't get caught back up into that race. So hopefully when we come out of this, we'll hit a reset button and rethink all this uh, and rethink. And, and television has way too much authority. And television's driving conference teams, conference alignment. When you play, when you don't play, television carries way too much importance and weight, much more than a university should have over its head. Last question for you. I'm going to assume that fall sports get postponed. Walk me through your schedule after that. Are you meeting with athletic director? Are you meeting with other presidents in the conference? Are you meeting with your coaches and athletes? How do you proceed after that happens? So we have actually started meeting almost on a weekly basis in mid-July. And uh, we have another meeting this week. Uh, Our athletic directors and the presidents are are jointly zooming together and we're making determinations and it truly is driven by this pandemic. And back in June, we were, we were, we were 80% sure that, that we're going to have fall sports now watching what's going on in Arizona and California and and Washington, particularly the Southeast. um, uh, It, it's less and less likely that we're going to, we're going to have fall sports less and less. Um, we haven't made that determination, but we will make it jointly, uh, whether we're going forward or, or whether they can officially start practice on Saturday, which is the 15th 
when they can actually start officially in pads for football. Um, we're, so we have some important discussions that we're having weekly on how do we go forward. And, and we're in kind of a bubble here in Oregon um, because the, 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 the case rates are so much lower than they are with all of our other peers. Uh, so in many ways, if we, <laughs> we could play, we'd be much better off than certainly UCLA, USC, Arizona State, and Arizona. Hmm. Uh, but, but we're not going to make that determination because we'll make it jointly as a conference. F. King Alexander, the president of Oregon State University. Like you said, you have some important decisions coming up. Good luck to you, and I hope we can stay in touch. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Please, please call when you need me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me. Third-party tested and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM Drops, and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD Soft Chews. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to cbdmd.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, cbdmd.com. Use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. 
follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.